This is lead minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. What is up? We are in final part or part four of our four-part series that we have called To Tell a Good Story. And this series is based off this idea that all of our lives, we want to tell a good story at the end of our lives. And we came to this reality that without Jesus, no matter what the world tells us, no matter what other people tell us, that without Jesus, it's impossible to tell a good story. Now we got to remember, telling a good story is more than just being a good person. We kind of label it this way, that telling a good story is a story that has an eternal impact. Meaning that you're, you're letting God shape you and mold you and change you into who he wants you to be. And you're doing godly things and Christ-like things and you're loving and you're forgiving and you're being a peacemaker. And when people criticize you, you're a peacemaker and you're, you're building your foundation of your life, your story, on the words of Jesus. In week one, we talked about this idea that the start of the story, right? The start of the story starts when we start following Jesus. And when we start following Jesus, that's when our story starts to become a good story. And then we talked about in the middle of our story, we've got to be careful of something that we're not always aware of, is the power of our words, because our tongue, our words bring life or death. Last week, Thomas, our missionary, talked about this idea that your story starts to change when you finally learn to trust God. And today, we're going to look at the end of our story, but in a different way. We're going to look at something that sabotages our story, that can ultimately sabotage the end of our stories. So as we get rolling, I want to stop here, and I want to pray real quick, and then we'll get rolling. Father, we thank you for you being a father who loves us, a relational father, a father who calls us in to a life with you. You call us to live a good story in light of your son, in light of the resurrection, Father. So I pray today as we have this conversation that you bless my words, you speak through me, and there's more of you coming out than Nathan, God. And I thank you for the people listening, whether it's in the building, whether it's on podcasts, whether it's on video. Father, we thank you for their stories because their stories matter. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So many of you know, growing up, I was a big sports nut, and I still am. I always say, sports and Jesus saved my life, right? Without sports, I probably would have never gone to church. But there's a sport that I was really involved in growing up that I don't talk much about because I wasn't very good at it, and that sport was motocross. Now, you got to understand, my family dynamic is on my mom's side, a lot of the guys are what you call gearheads, right? They got grease up to their elbows, and they, they like hot rods, and they're like fixing cars and motorcycles, and I like those things, but I can fix nothing, right? But growing up, a lot of times when I'd go to my grandma's, my cousins would have dirt bikes, so I spent a lot of my early childhood riding dirt bikes. And when I was in junior high, my stepdad at the time, he bought himself a dirt bike, and then he bought me my very own Honda CR85, and it was awesome. And we would go ride on the weekends, and it was a, it was a great time. I, w- I wish I was better at it, but I was never very good, but it was awesome. And then one weekend particularly, we, we rented out a track with, my, with some my uncle and my cousins and a bunch of family friends. There was a bunch of us. We rented out a track in Joliet, Illinois, and this was a big boy track, the track where they would race on the weekends, and there would be different classes of racers. And I just remember talking to the, the grown-ups, and they were telling me, like, hey, listen, if you're going to be on this track— you got to fully commit to it, meaning you got to go. You can't be afraid 
So I took a couple slow laps and just slowly riding over, you know, the, the doubles and the whoops and the tabletops. And I wanted to get a feel for the track. So I got a good feel for it. I got some confidence in, you know, my sixth grade, seventh grade, you know, confidence. I was ready to go. And I started riding all right. And I wasn't doing great. And I was hitting, you know, I hit a double here and hit a jump here. And then I got to the finish line jump. And that's the biggest jump on the track. It's a big tabletop. And I'm going to it, and I'm like, hey, I got to fully commit. It's, it's in my head. I got to fully commit. I got to fully commit. So I'm going. I'm getting closer. I'm throttling down. But before I get to the jump, before I get to the peak of it where you start getting some air, I let off the throttle. I let off the throttle and grab the clutch. Before I knew it, what, I, what happened was I'm on the ground, dirt bike on top of me. I'm in pain, and it's all because I didn't fully commit. And it was, the reality was I didn't fully commit. And I crashed. And that's always stuck with me, fully commit, fully commit. Because when it comes to our faith, if you don't fully commit, you're going to crash. When it comes to your faith, you're gonna, if you don't fully commit, you're going to crash. And what I mean by that is your story will not be the way it was intended to be. God can't use you the way he wants to. You will never reach your full potential in God's story for you if you don't fully commit. Matter of fact, Jesus talked about this. He's like, there's a type of Christian that doesn't fully commit. And he actually gave it a name. And we're going to look at that. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation 3. But in Revelation 2 through 3, you know, everybody's favorite book, Revelation, Jesus writes the seven churches. And these churches, he writes some of them, hey, this is what you're doing well. I see you. This is what you're doing bad. And he encourages them. Well, we get to the final church. And this church... Here's some of the most harsh words Jesus says to any church. And in it, he talks about a type of Christian that doesn't fully commit. So we're going to be in Revelation 3 today. You can follow along in your Bible. We're going to be verses 14 through 22 completely. Right now, we're going to read the first five verses of it. It says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, that's the, that's the church, Laodicea, write, write, these are the words of, of the Amen. A faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So talking about Jesus, and this is Jesus speaking. He goes, I, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. You're not going all in. But I wish you were either one of the, one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Doesn't that sound nice? Jesus is saying, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He's like, you say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched. You're pitiful, you're poor, and you're blind and naked. I counsel you. He's like, I'm pleading to you. Buy from me gold refined in fire. So you become rich and white clothes to wear. And so you, you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes. So you can see those whom I, I love, I rebuke and discipline. Discipline, sorry. So be earnest and repent. Now, there's a lot of information going on, a lot, of, a lot of confusing words. So let's kind of break this down. The first thing we need to talk about is Laodicea, the church that he's writing to. Some of the things to know about Laodicea was that they were a wealthy city, that they were known for being very, very rich. That, matter of fact, one of the things they were known for was this fine black wool, that they, they had the this wool, which meant they had nice clothes, that they dressed nice, they looked good. They're also known for having a, a medical center. They're also known for having a baking system, like a, a, a big, famous baking, uh, baking system. Like they had lots of money. They were a city that was very self-sufficient. And, th and that's what's to remember. They were self-sufficient. 
But what is really important for you and I to realize why this area even matters is why we're talking about this is where they were located geographically. They were, Laodicea was located geographically by two other cities and it kind of made a triangle. And uh, one of the cities was a city called Heropolis. And Heropolis was a city known for having hot springs, hot water, meaning people would travel to these hot springs thinking that they could get healed. So the, the, the hot water had purposes, it, it, it medical purposes, so people would travel there. And then on the other side, there was another city called Colossae. Colossae is actually a city that Colossians is written to, and Colossae didn't have warm water, they had cold water. And that cold water was good for what? It was good for drinking. It, it was good for refreshment. It, it was good. So one city had hot water. One city had cold water. Well, then there's Laodicea. And even though they're rich, they don't have their own natural source of water. So they have to use the Roman aqueducts, if you know your history, to pipe in water to the city, which created water that wasn't all that great. And by the time it got to Laodicea, when the water was awful, and it was a type of water that was called lukewarm. It was neither hot, it was neither cold. It was not good for bathing because it wasn't, you know, it was in the middle, would not be warm enough. And it wasn't good for drinking because it would be too warm. They had lukewarm water, right? And, and here's the thing about lukewarm water. Either hot or cold is good, but lukewarm is no good for anybody. Either hot or cold is good, but lukewarm is good for nobody. And, and are any of you coffee drinkers out there? I'm a coffee drinker. Now in the mornings, you know what I like? I love a, a piping hot Nespresso. We got one of those fancy Nespresso machines my, my wife wanted, but they got all types of flavors, and I, and I love that in the morning, right? It gets me going. But I also love an ice-cold, venti, white chocolate mocha from Starbucks. I love hot coffee. I love cold coffee, but the idea of having to drink lukewarm coffee for the rest of my life makes me literally want to spit it out. And if you were to drink the water from Lady Osea at that time, you would have wanted to spit it out. Well, there's something that's going on in these words that makes Jesus want to spit something out of his mouth. What was it? Was it that Christians were too political? No, but he pro that probably annoys them. Was it that they were late to church? No, so if you're always late, you're in luck. Was it that they didn't give enough? Was it, they were, was it that they were fighting and couldn't get along? No, no, no. The thing that made Jesus want to spit them, metaphorically, out of their mouth was the lukewarm Christian. The lukewarm Christian. And lukewarm Christian is kind of like an oxymoron. It's like jumble shrimp or tight slacks or government efficiency, or Microsoft works. It just doesn't make sense. And that's going to be Jesus' point, that a lukewarm Christian doesn't make sense. And he's going to use this metaphor or this symbol of their lukewarm water. And that's why it's so, when people ask us what we preach about, we preach about application, because that's what Jesus did. He found something that they would have known, lukewarm, and applied it to their lives. So Jesus is going to use this picture of lukewarm water that they're all familiar with to tell them exactly what their faith is like. Listen to what he says. He goes, I know your deeds. Everybody say, I know your deeds, right? I, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold, nor hot, and I wish you were either one of the, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
I'm going to say that again. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know how you're living. I know what your faith is like. I know your worship life. I know your prayer life. I know what you did last week. And I know your deeds. He's like, you're not cold. You're not hot. And I really wish you were one or the other, but you're lukewarm. Because if you were hot, you have your purpose. And if you're cold, you have your purpose. And that's where a lot of people misinterpret this. Jesus isn't saying, I, I just can't get behind this interpretation that Jesus is saying, I wish you were totally against me or for me. What he is saying is like cold water has purpose, like Colossae, and then Heropolis' warm water has purpose, but lukewarm water has no purpose. So what he's actually telling them to do is like live according to your purpose and faith, but you're living lukewarm. So he's trying to go through this point that we've already said before. Hot or cold is good, but lukewarm is good for nobody. It's not good for anybody. So what he's saying is like, live according to your purpose. And what he's saying is, I want you to go all in on your purpose. I want you to go all in on your faith. What he's saying is he's like, do not be lukewarm when it comes to me. Fully commit to me. He's calling them to fully commit to him. That's what he wants. He wants them not to be hot, not to be, he wants it to be hot or cold, which have his good purposes. But he's like, I don't want you to be lukewarm. But Lady, Lady Osea, that's exactly what they are. Because of that, Jesus says, I, I want to spit you out of my mouth. And, and the Greek, the way this word, this sentence is actually structured, it means, I want to, you make me want to vomit. He's like, I want, you make me want, this is Jesus speaking. He's like, you, I'm, you make me want to throw up just thinking about you. Just think about that. He's like, so what this shows us is that not only does this indifference break Jesus' heart, it's making him sick to his stomach. He's like, there's nothing distinctive about you. There's nothing special about you. You claim to flow from me. You claim that, that you flow from me. You claim to follow me. But you feel and look more like your environment than you do me. You claim to flow from me. But you look like the world around you. So the question becomes, well, what created Laodicea to feel this way? What happened? How, how did they get to this point? Well, Jesus kind of gives us the hint in the, the words. Remember, he's like, you think you're rich. You think you got all you need. You think your needs are met. Well, you know how rich they were? There was an earthquake in about 61 AD. And then it, it, it leveled every city in the region. So the Roman Empire, the Romans who were in charge, started offering federal aid to all these cities. Lady Asia was so rich that he said, nah, we're good. Now, no one turns down free money, right? Like, no one turns that down. We've just seen that the last couple of years, the last year or so. No one turns it down. But Laodicea did. And they didn't take any government money, and they rebuilt the city themselves. And this created self-sufficiency and pride. And that sense of self-sufficiency led to pride. And do you know what pride and self-sufficiency all always breeds lukewarm passion this is what they did here's what, here's what I'm trying to say they looked around like man we got some awesome clothes who we just built this whole city ourselves look how beautiful this is we got medicine we can heal ourselves we got banks we can take care of ourselves we look around we're good all right we're self-sufficient and it leads to this pride. And what happens is they're so self-sufficient and they're so wealthy 
You know what happened? They, they, failed, they failed to lean on God or turn to God for their everyday necessities. They started to go, grow lukewarm because they thought they didn't need God. They thought they had it all. But man, were they wrong. Jesus says, listen to what Jesus says. He's going to rip into him. He's like, you say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. He's like, you think you're so wealthy and you do not need a thing? But you, but you don't realize that you're wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind and you're naked. But you do not realize that you, you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. He's like, you don't realize what you are. He's like, you look around and you think you're all swagged out. He's like, you got your Yeezys and the champion shirts on. You got your Nikes. He's like, you think you're amazing. But you don't realize what you really are. What are you? You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. He's like, yeah. You're so unaware to your own condition. He's like, you're blind. You don't see what you really need. He's like, you're lukewarm. And you're really not good for anybody. Yeah, you can rebuild your city. Yeah, you got a banking system. Yeah, you got a medical school. So what? You're blind to your own condition. Yeah, you filled your life with material items. But you have nothing that matters. He's like, you have material stuff. But you're spiritually bankrupt. You're spiritually bankrupt. And, and we see because of this, they're spiritually bankrupt, they're lukewarm. And they're lukewarm, really, because of their wealth and their self-sufficiency. And I got to thinking this week, we live in a country of wealth. We're often very self-sufficient. How easily could this be me? And then I got to thinking more, well, I, my job isn't just to think about me. It's to think about you guys. How easily could this be you? How easily could this be RSCC? Most of us, we got some money. We got food. We got a house over our head. We don't really need to depend on God for our daily necessities. We're like, I got my iPhone. I got my upgrade. I got my car. I got my stimulus check. I got my TikTok. I got my Netflix. I got my money. I'm good. And that creates a mindset where we forget to turn to God daily for necessities. Where we forget to go to God every single day with a fiery passion. And the great danger for many of our stories is we have grown lukewarm in our faith. We never outright deny Jesus. We'll fulfill our religious duties, but our life is not characterized by a passionate, fiery faith. And most of us are just lukewarm. We're kind of meh, meh. And, and I just wonder how many of us are in the mess stage of faith. And what I mean by that is we, we want a little bit of God. And we want our kids to go to church because we want them to get good morals. We, we want to learn a little bit. We want to serve a little bit. Uh, you want to get enough God, but what you really think you need is like, well, you know, my life to be complete, I, I really need more money. I need a bigger house. I need a better beach vacation. I, I need more playing time. I need my kids to be better at sports. But I got, a, I got God, and I think I got enough of him. And, and it leads us to this state where we're going to call it today. It's the title of the message. We're lukewarm, and we're loving it. It's like McLovin' it, right? You know, hey, we're lukewarm, and I'm loving it. Got enough, just enough Jesus, just enough church, just enough worship, just enough prayer. I'm not really hot, I'm not really cold, I'm lukewarm, and I'm loving it. Maybe this illustration will help paint a picture for you. 
You know, to, to the kids out there, this is actually a phone. And yes, phones still do have cords, but most of us grew up with phones looking like this. Now, there's something that happens when you pick up a phone. I call it the customer service voice. So you pick it up and you sound like this. Hey man, so good to talk to you. So great to hear from you. Oh yeah, you know, you're not bothering me. No, I got time to talk. Meanwhile, you're thinking, why in the world did this person ever call me? Right, you're faking your voice. You've got your customer service voice. You got my voice, but you don't have my heart because I wish you never called. And if you can fake your voice here, how many of us can fake our admiration to Jesus? How many of us are doing it? So we say, hey, dude. Say, hey, girl, it's so good to talk to you. Yeah, hey, I'll be praying for that situation. Oh, yeah, hey, if you need anything, don't worry. Call, call me, right? I'll be here for you. Then you hang up. And it was all fake. So I just wonder, how many of us have our customer service church voice? Oh, man, we're singing worship. God turns graves into gardens. Or we come to church on Sunday, hey, good to see you. Praise God. God is amazing, right? And, and, and you clap your hands and you say amen. And you hang up. And it was all just an act. Why? Because you're lukewarm and you're loving it. You got your customer service voice on. I wonder how many of us just do what we do religiously. Go to church, pray, go to Sunday school. Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're lukewarm. We're not passionate about it. It's what we're supposed to do. Jesus says, don't pretend to love me. It's like, get rid of your customer service voice and love me. Laodicea was living with a customer service voice. They thought they were loving God, but, but they were missing the mark. And many of us were like them. We're lukewarm and we're loving it. Yeah, we don't cuss much. We don't sleep around. We go to church most Sundays. We admit that Jesus died for our sins. We, we sing the words on the screen. We even go to Sunday school. We, we pray before our meals. We give God props for our achievements. But we never really pray. We don't really even read our Bible. Like, hey, you know, Nathan reads it for us. I don't need to read it. We make it to church, you know, sometimes, but like if something else comes up, like a sporting event or something more fun, if it's like if anything else really comes up where I'm tired, I'll just skip. I don't really talk about my faith. I don't really own my faith. But listen, hey, God, God's good with me. I'm good with God. I love him. He, he knows I'm not perfect. And Jesus says, listen, that's not going to cut it. Lukewarm and loving it does not cut it. Hot or cold is good, but lukewarm is good for nobody. And here's why lukewarm is no good. Because when you look at the cross and you think about what that cross represents, that Jesus' body was beaten and he was broken and his blood was poured out for you and for me on that cross and it was poured out for our forgiveness and then three days later he defeated death and rose from the grave, there's no way you could be lukewarm and loving it. Because if you're really transformed by that, if you really believe that, if you really truly give your life to that and to Jesus, you're going to be so passionately on fire that you, there's not going to be a lukewarm, you can't be lukewarm. And whenever you lose sight of that, when you become self-sufficient or prideful, that's when you become lukewarm. And, and when people know you're a Christian and you're, luke, and you're lukewarm, you know what you're telling the world? This Jesus guy, there's not much to be excited about. You see, our morals, 
or our lives, our morals, our giving are supposed to scream his worthness. And that's why worship is so important because worship means worth-ship. That our lives are supposed to be worship to God. That everything we do, our stories, our lives are supposed to scream his worthness. And lukewarm says that what God has done and what Jesus has done for us isn't that big of a deal. And it's not a big enough a deal for me to be passionate about it. That's what lukewarm screams. And lukewarm isn't good for you, isn't good for me, and it's not good for Jesus, and it's especially not good for the world around us. So what does a lukewarm profile look like? If we're going to say DNA of a lukewarm person, and there's many things, but there's going to be four we're going to look at today. First one is a lukewarm person, or a person with a lukewarm faith is a silent storyteller. And what I mean by that is it goes with this series. This series is all about telling a story with your life. And a silent storyteller doesn't, doesn't share their faith. They're silent about their faith. They go through the motions every day at work, at the gym, at home, in school, in the hallways, and they don't say a single thing about their life. They don't tell people about how God changed their lives. They don't tell about what God's doing in their lives. They are silent. And I just wonder how many of us have told someone in the last week or two about the story of God and what God has done in our lives. Second thing, a, a lukewarm person or, or someone with lukewarm faith only turns to God when they need something. I, I've seen this over and over again. People turn to, to God in a need uh, because they're jobless, because their money situation, because of death in the family, a, a health scare. And, and he, listen, you're supposed to turn to God in those needs. But lukewarm faith, it, it was someone with lukewarm faith turns to God in those moments and they get, what they, they get their job, they get over the health scare. They kind of, the, the death kind of fades away. Like it gets further and further out. And they leave God. A lukewarm person, a person with lukewarm faith will spend their life over and over again only turning to God exactly when they need something. The third thing that someone with a lukewarm faith does is they rationalize sin. We are called as followers of Jesus to hate sin. To hate the things that push us further and further from God. But when we are lukewarm, we will rationalize why we're living this way. We'll say everybody's doing it. it, it, it was, it's not that big of a deal. We'll rationalize it. And often we'll, we'll live as close to that line uh, of sin and not sin. We'll get as close as we can. We want to know how much we can do without actually getting in trouble. We don't actually hate sin. We just don't want to be seen as a bad person. And I love what Minister Francis Chan said. He's like, most Christians, we don't hate sin. We hate the thought of going to hell. He's like, we don't hate sin, we hate the thought of going to hell. And the fourth point, the fourth thing that a lukewarm Christian does is they don't look much different than the rest of the world. Remember that Laodicea had lukewarm water, meaning lukewarm is, isn't isn't cold or hot, it's non-distinctive. It has no distinction. Like it, you can't tell if it's warm or cold. It doesn't look any different. It doesn't feel any different. And that's what a lukewarm Christian does. They're not distinctive. They look exactly like the world. They look like the world around them. They talk like them. They watch what they watch. They watch, you know, they listen to the music they listen to. They parent like the world. They have the same hobbies of the world. There's no distinction between them and the world. And I can talk about what a lukewarm Christian looks like because I, I've been there in my life. I, 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 sometimes I, I, was, I could have led the way with lukewarm Christianity, even, even as a minister. Even as it become, I become a minister, an example is, you know, I study God's word to preach a sermon. 
But sometimes I get so caught up in, in studying for the sermon that I, I don't just study to know Jesus. I don't read the Bible to walk with him and love him. And I heard a, a minister say one time, he's like, a lot of us will become full-time pastors and part-time followers of Jesus. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've become a full-time parent, full-time stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, businessman, teacher, career person, whatever it is, and a part-time follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, lukewarm isn't going to cut it. So let's go back to what Jesus says about lukewarm faith. He's, he's like, if you're lukewarm, if you're not fully committed, if you're like Nathan on the dirt bike, you're going to crash. He's like, as a matter of fact, what's going to happen is I'm going to want to spit you out of my mouth. Your faith literally makes me want to vomit, he says. Now that doesn't sound that loving, does it? Does it? But, but think about it in this, in, in this sense. What's more loving? To let someone blindly live unaware of their condition that causes them to miss the hope of eternity. Or to make, a, make someone aware of their condition spiritually and hope that they would turn back to God and be able to have the hope of eternity with God. The second one is. The second one. So what Jesus is doing is he, he, he's correcting them. He's rebuking them, he says, because he loves them. And Jesus loves you and me too much to keep us in a lukewarm condition. And if you're here today and you're like, man, this is me. This is exactly who I am. I want to let you know there's hope. The Bible says that every, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet Christ still died for the sin, sinners. Right? Jesus still died for you and me. That the most lukewarm person, the, the person in the front of the line of lukewarm faith, still has hope through Jesus. And that's what Jesus is going to say to the Laodicea. But he's also speaking to me and you. Listen, let's go back to what he says. He says this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. He's like, he's like I want you to make, you, make it so you can see. Those, who I those, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. He's like, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Those who I love, I rebuke and I discipline. And this is why I love Jesus. He's like, listen, Laodicea, there's still hope for you. I'm telling you why I, I love you. He's like, he's like well, I'm telling you these things because I love you. I want a relationship with you. And he doesn't want us to miss eternity with him. And remember what this city was proud of, a banking system and clothes and material items. And Jesus uses those same imagery He's like, buy from me. Buy from me. Buy from me. Buy what I have to offer. Cover yourself in what I have to offer you. Not what the world has. Turn back to me with passion and fire. Fully commit to be back to me. And in these words, we see how to defeat a lukewarm faith. So let's talk about it. The, the first thing that he, that he says we're to do is we're to let the process happen. 
What he says actually says, he tells them to buy gold from him refined in fire. Refining is the process that removes impurities or unwanted elements so that you can get the gold or the product that you want. So when Jesus says, buy gold for me, what he's saying to Laodicea and what he's saying to us, he's like, go through the process of letting me write and shape your story. We have to allow him to write and shape our stories. That we got to let the Holy Spirit into our lives and remove the impurities and and the sins that get in the way of us writing the story or Jesus writing the story that he wants to write in our lives. And this process in the Bible, it's a process called sanctification. And it's a fancy word, but to sanctify something means to set it apart. The, the, the sanctify a person means to set them apart and make them holy. So what G- G- God wants to do is he wants first us to follow Jesus. And once we start following Jesus, we, we're promised to receive the Holy Spirit. And that process starts, and the Holy Spirit starts to refine us, and he starts to shape us, and he starts to mold us, and he starts to take out the impurities and the sins and all the junk in our life, and it's not fun, and sometimes it's painful, and it, it doesn't happen in an instant. There's no spirit, microwave spirituality. There, there's, it takes time, and there's a process, and we have to allow that process to happen because when you don't allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and to move you, and you don't allow God to continue his work of sanctification, you. you know what happens? You get lukewarm. Because the only way sanctification happens is you being in tune in relationship with the Father, being, being in a relationship with Him. And sanctification is a lifelong growth. And it's, on, it's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our stories. <laughs> it happens our entire life. And, it, and it's not behavior modification. It's changing the core of who we are. It's not behavior management. It's changing the core of who we are. If you want to not to have a lukewarm faith, continue to let the Holy Spirit move you and sanctify you. The second thing that, that helps us defeat lukewarmness is to find sufficiency in Jesus. Or security is another way to say it. Laodicea found security and sufficiency in stuff around them. Their money, their banks, their, their medical school, their, their clothes. And that's a lot like us. We find our security and our sufficiency a lot of times in our talents, in our abilities, in our skills, in our money, in our bank accounts. And Jesus said, listen. No, 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 listen. That doesn't make you rich. Don't find your security in those things. Listen to what he says. He's like, find, buy from me. And he's going to say it in these words. He's going to say, buy from me and find your security in me so you can become rich and wear white clothes so you can cover your shameful nakedness, right? So you can see. And this idea of white robes or white clothes to wear is this idea of wearing white, meaning we've been wiped clean. And the only thing that wipes us clean is, symbi- is the blood of Jesus. It's symbolic. He's saying, find security in what I've done for you. Put on the white robe of victory. Put on the white robe that, that signifies that you've been forgiven, that you've been wiped clean. Find sufficiency in that. Not things of this world. Find sufficiency in me. And then the third thing he tells us to do, this is so important, he goes, make repentance a habit. He says, those whom I I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So be earnest, repent. Again, he's saying, "I, I tell you this because I love you. And then he says this word earnest, which it could mean be zealous, it could mean be, be passionate, go all in, commit fully. It's like be zealous and turn and repent. 
He's like, turn away from your lukewarmness. Earnestly, zealously turn back to me. And repent means to change directions, to turn your life around. It's like you're walking this way. He's like, no, literally walk away and re return back to me. And a professor said it this way. Repentance is this. It's making sure your account is always current before God. It's making sure your account is always current before God. It's taking your sins and your flaws and your struggles to God and being open with him. Because God will not heal what you will not reveal. And unconfessed sin often keeps us in this state of lukewarmness. So bring it to God. Zealously, earnestly, passionately, on fire, turn away from your sin and back to God. Repent with earnest passion. And then your faith, he says, won't be lukewarm. Then he ends this letter with, with some encouraging words. He says, here am I. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and, and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus gives the, that, this church the same invitation he gives us. He's like, I'm standing at your door knocking. Will you let me in? I'm not going to force myself in. I'm not going to force myself in. But will you let me in? I stand at the door. I'm going to knock. Will you open the invitation? I, I want to eat with you. Jesus is saying, I, I want to change your story. I want to change your life. I know you've been lukewarm, but repent. Turn back to me earnestly. I'm knocking at your door and change your life. And then if that wasn't enough, he gives us this, this awesome kind of, if he gives us these words. He says, this is what happens if you do this. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. And Jesus says, if you can overcome your lukewarmness, if you can do the things that we talked about, if you can repent, if you can have, zealously go to God, if you can have passionate and be all in in your faith, there's a promise that one day we'll sit on the throne with Jesus. That we'll have ultimate victory in this life. And we'll be with God, we'll be with Jesus and the Holy Spirit in eternity. And that right there is why we said without Jesus, it's impossible to tell a good story. Every good story, just like every good movie and book, has a good ending. It's a good start, a good middle, and a good ending. But the only way you have a good ending is through Jesus. And lukewarm faith isn't going to get you there. It's not going to cut it, he says. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm the way to the Father. Jesus promises if you turn to him, and if you can fully commit to him with your life, your talents, your story, that one day you're going to be able to tell a good story. And you're going to sit right next to me, and we're going to talk about that story. So today I want to end this way. I want to give anybody the opportunity listening an invite to open the door that Jesus is knocking at. Maybe for the first time. I also want to give anybody an invite, invitation to maybe talk, to, to receive some prayer about getting, escaping this lukewarm faith. But I want to encourage all of us as we end this series to remember that to tell a good story starts with having faith in Jesus. It's having faith in Jesus in the middle. And it's having faith in Jesus at the end. Because Jesus is what gives us the ability to live a life that matters and to tell a good story. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful that you sent us Jesus. 
Father, I know sometimes we're lukewarm and we're loving it. Sometimes we're stuck in the middle and we don't even realize it and we're blind to our own condition. But God, you love us anyway. And you say it's never too late to passionately turn back to you. So Father, I, I pray that we have passion and we turn back to you. We love you because you love us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.